Canyoneering is a dangerous sport and requires a permission slip from your mother. The hosts of this podcast are good-looking, but stupid, and frequently make things up. This podcast is considered fake news in 27 states. To accommodate colorblind canyoneers, listeners should only use black webbing. And now, the unqualified hosts of the Canyon Tech Podcast, Wayne and Vin. Hey, everybody. This is Wayne. Vin, say hi. Hello. Vin, I have to uh, do a correction from a previous episode. Vin, you casually mentioned that we go out canyoneering a couple times a week, but we go out more like four to five times a week. No one cares, Wayne. You're, you're right, Vin. So let's, um, let's focus in on some canyoneering. And today, we're going to talk about anchors and some really good concepts relative to anchors and what makes them good and bad. And the first thing, I just want to talk about general concepts. And the first thing that's probably obvious, but anchors are pass-fail, right? And you really can't have failure. So we're looking at approaches to reduce the risk of failure. So a lot of this is about risk. There's no right answer. It's only degrees of risk uh, mixed in with what you have in the canyon. So some, some will have materials that you can build something. Some may not. Uh, there's canyoneering ethics, which we won't get into a lot today, but we may on a, on a future episode. And then uh, there might be some legality. So what might be allowed by the park? For example, there's no bolts in Death Valley. So you're going to see a lot of rock cairns there. Um, and then I think people just kind of simplistically when they start canyoneering, just think, well, bolts are the safest. So why don't we just bolt everywhere? Um, so yes, it can be illegal. Sometimes it's unnecessary because there's a big rock nearby or a tree that'll work just as well. Some would say they're unsightly. So there's a little bit of a debate in the canyoneering community. Again, we won't get into it today about, you know, is it better to have a big rock cairn there, which is a little more of a natural anchor or to put bolts on the side of the wall and have it kind of neatly tucked away. Um, you know, there's the, the big trees there, always safe, the bigger ones anyway. Um, but we also don't want to kill the tree. So if you bring a lot of rope and webbing around it and it starts grinding, you've got some issues there. Um, and then there's some that think that everything is unsightly and everything should be ghosted, um, which is then at the expense of, you know, takes you a little bit more time in the canyon and there's some advanced techniques in order to do that ghosting. Um, and so all of that, um, there's some debate in the canyoneering community. We're not going to solve that today, Vin. So we're just going to focus on the technical aspects of that. Um, And then the other thing I guess we can talk about now, I'll throw it over to you, is that um, you and your team obviously need to get down a specific rappel when you're looking at um, the canyon and and you want to make sure that you get down safely. Um, But what else do we have to take into account, Vin? That this is a community, that this is a sport that many people are doing and that they're are people that have come before you and that also that there are going to be people behind you. Uh, so some of the choices that you make, like whether or not you replace webbing, the quality of stuff that you're using, like people that are coming in the days or months after you uh, will be using that gear and it could like be dangerous or not dangerous to them. Yeah. So if you see a nick in a webbing and, and uh, I'll admit sometimes we're hurrying through a canyon and, um, and so we have to debate, do we want to, how bad is the nick and do we want to replace it or not? And so, yeah, erring on the side of it would be good for us um, and our group, but it also would be good to make sure if the next group is coming through and they don't look at it as closely, um, whether or not, you know, it helps them out as well. So we do think about the broader community. Uh, and then also 
there is a concept that I want to set up when we talk about uh, load. Um, so obviously your, your weight in pounds um, is the basics for that load, but it is not the same as force. So force is measured in newtons, um, not pounds. So one kilonewton is about 100 kilograms, or we'll say 220 pounds of force. So if I'm just hanging, so let's say with my pack, et cetera, I'm hanging um, from an anchor um, and just a single anchor. I may put, you know, very gently lower myself onto the, to that anchor and onto the rope. I may be putting 220 pounds of force on that rope. But if I were to slip and fall off of the edge of the rappel, um, or if I were to have, say, two or three feet of slack in my rope before I started to go over, and then the rope caught me, I may have two or three times as much force that I'm putting on that anchor. And if it's a set of bolts and, you know, double webbing, no problem. It's strong enough. But if it's a rock cairn, um, we have to be much more careful. So there are concepts here that we'll talk about when we look at, you know, whether it's strong and redundant, et cetera. It's not just if you weigh 105 pounds, whether it'll hold you. It's also whether it'll hold you um, if there's any kinds of shock to the system and force applied. So those are the times of things that, that we're going to, um, as we're talking through um, and considering how we're going to manage that. So you also then, as you're going down and maybe say testing out an anchor, you don't want to you know, say, hey, let me see how this Karen anchor holds. And then you just lean back and you start jerking on it because uh, ideally you're not jerking on it and you get the um, rope over the edge. So you're not putting quite as much force on that cairn anchor, and it's just good uh, quality technique for uh, for canyoneering off of cairns and other kinds of weaker anchors. So those are the broader concepts. Um, so let's talk about specifically what makes an anchor great. So there's a couple of acronyms, Vin, that we talk about. So tell me at a high level those acronyms and what are, and we're going to go through each component of it as well. Uh, the two most common ones are serene and earnest. Uh, and both of those kind of talk about similar concepts. Those ones being, are you equalized? Is it redundant? Uh, the level of extension that will be caused, uh, are they strong and are they efficient? Yeah, exactly. And so that's the earnest one. And we're going to go through the serene and really a serene essay. We'll get to the, to the last one there, the small angle. Um, so let's start out with the S on serene, and that's solid or strong. So you're looking at the types of things like what are you attaching it to? Are, is it a 12-inch tree or larger? Is it a huge boulder? Are there multiple bolts that are well-placed? And so you're, you're really looking at uh, a bomber anchor, as we say, of some kind. Um, and then the next thing is, even if you have that bomber anchor, Vin, it's what you're attaching to it matters. Yeah. Um, like we see a lot of weird stuff in the canyon sometimes. Like sometimes you'll see rope that is just definitely not climbing grade. Um, or you'll see, like sometimes when we're cleaning canyons, we'll pick up old webbing. Uh, and then there is a temptation sometimes you're accidentally grabbing the wrong stuff. You could be using old webbing. So that attachment point definitely matters. Yeah. And, you know, chains are, are nice to see because usually they're strong um, as opposed to maybe aging webbing. Um, especially if it's exposed to a lot of sun, which tends to destroy webbing pretty quickly. Um, but uh, but the, I've seen canyons that have, um, you can tell it's it's uh, actually swing set chain. So, you know, somewhat strong, but nothing that makes me comfortable um, in those in those canyons. So yeah, it's very much a, the, the anchor may be strong, but the anchor includes also the, the webbing, the, the cord, the rope, the whatever, the chain, whatever it's attached to, and you're going to evaluate that or not, um, which I should pause and say, all of this is 
that we're going to talk about today is not because we're going to, you know, expect everybody who's listening to go into a canyon and build all these anchors, et cetera. But the first thing that you're going to want to do as a canyoneer is making sure that you're evaluating these anchors according to this uh, serene, um, because you're doing that risk risk assessment, right? So you're trying to you're trying to do things like you come up on anchors that are in um, stone, and maybe I've seen things where. Um, that rock itself, if you knock on it, it sounds kind of hollow, right? So you don't want the bolts to come out with a full layer of rock when you're weighting that. Um, and then similarly, you're also looking at, okay, there's a there's an arch or a chalk anchor that's in the, in the rock. Um, so an arch that you tie to in sandstone will be much weaker by default um, and more like because it's more likely to break than say in limestone or granite and those, those kinds of much more difficult rocks. Um, another thing that we see is uh, you get the live plants, right? So there's bushes that I've gone off of that I'm 100% comfortable doing that. Um, but there are bushes uh, that you have to evaluate, uh, Vin, and what kinds of things are you looking for there? Yeah, so when I'm looking at going off of live things like plants, the first thing I'm looking for is, is it alive? Uh, when you've seen tests of, you know, a huge amount of weights going off of live trees, it's pretty amazing. But at the same time, like, like I've heard stories where like people can walk by and there's just not a lot of soil underneath. So it looks like a pretty healthy tree. It's alive. I would definitely, it's the right size, but you could kind of walk by and just pick it up and there's nowhere for those roots to go. It's just sitting in a shallow bowl. Yeah, absolutely. And then also for the strength, rock cairns I've gone off of some that are, you know, like five feet high and five feet wide and there's so much material, but there's other ones where you're in the middle of a canyon and you're farming rocks and even little ones to try to pile on enough weight. Um, so again, obviously the bigger, the tree, the bigger, the boulder, you know, those bolts that are well-placed is always the ideal, but there's versions of other things that we're going to talk about today, um, that you're going to evaluate uh, against and, and try to figure out how strong is that anchor, um, at its foundation. So the next concept that we're going to talk about is equalized in the serene acronym. So, um, you know, part of it is you may equalize by having two different anchors, um, but you could also have an equalized loop of webbing um, that comes off of the same anchor. Um, and then as part of that equalization, what you're trying to do is make sure that the weight or the force um, is distributed as much as possible and as evenly as possible across those um, kind of two pieces of webbing, if it's coming from the sides or the, and or the two anchors. Um, and there's a couple of concepts here, dynamic versus static equalization. So talk about that and where we've seen those, Vin. Yeah. So in my mind, I kind of think of it versus like uh, it's set equalization versus equalization that self-adjusts. Um, so in the canyoneering community, a lot of the times we recognize that we are going in this direction. When you talk about equalization, what you're doing is you're splitting the load between anchors. And actually, in my mind, I would say that it's not necessarily 50-50. You're trying to distribute the load in a way that's appropriate because you could have one anchor that's a lot stronger than the other. Oh, true. Um, but since we are less concerned with you know, being able to shift back and forth like a climber might be when he's traveling upwards, we can set in a more static, uh, in a more static way and allow that anchor to take the load in the way that was intended. Yeah, so the overhand in the webbing, what we try to do is pull the webbing when we're putting it in place in the direction of the rappel, in the direction of, of then the load. And, uh, and that overhand then doesn't allow, um, and when you've seen badly uh, tied overhands and webbing, you will see 
that you're going off of one side more than the other, and yet maybe you want to adjust that. Um, so it really does depend on how you've rigged the ropes or cord or um, uh, webbing, whatever you're using to go from the, the that solid anchor um, to the repeat. And so ideally, you're going to equalize that in the direction of the load, right? So if you think about your rappel line um, that's coming down, that is the load. If you followed that rappel line up and dissected the angle of the webbing, if the angle of the webbing is dissected essentially in half, then you're probably uh, pretty pretty good in terms of the equalization. It's never going to be perfect, um, but you want to have it as, as um, appropriate as possible um, so you're not just going off of one anchor. Um, and so the other thing is that, you know, if you look at different types of anchors, usually we'll see um, the two bolted anchors will be kind of parallel to each other and it, it creates this V. A lot of times the climbing uh, anchors that you'll see are a little bit more about one behind another. So one becomes more of a backup for the other. Um, we see that on rare occasion within the canyoneering community, um, whether the climbers put that in or maybe it's an old school style. Um, so those aren't going to be equalized quite as well. Um, you can tie webbing probably to make that work a little bit, but it's mostly one's a backup for the other. So speaking of that, uh, let's talk about redundancy. So what do we look for for redundancy then? Yeah, redundancy is pretty straightforward. Uh, redundancy says that if one point fails, is there something else that backs it up? And so like w for an example with like bolts, having two bolts is really great because if one fails, the other one can still catch you. Um, that's that's the basis of it. Yeah. And we also do that in the webbing or, or cord that gets, so the whole idea of, of looping the webbing through both anchors, pulling the middle down, doing an overhand knot, and then putting a repeat below that overhand knot. The reason is because if one side of that webbing gets cut, um, the other side will continue to hold, right? So that overhand knot will keep the repeat isolated and the other ankle will be perfectly fine. So that redundancy is always ideal. Um, the other aspect of redundancy is to have um, a backup of some kind. So Talk a little bit about that, Vin, maybe an example. Yeah, the backup is a little bit different. Uh, the backup in canyoneering usually refers to that we've set a primary uh, objective, that this is going to hold. But if that fails, that this other thing will be able to catch that weight. And really for us, it's a way to test that, that, that first one. So for an example, like with a Cairn anchor, there is some amount of risk that the amount of force that you're about to apply to this anchor could cause failure. Um, and so what we would do is we would use a meat anchor to back it up. And what that allows is, is more than just one thing. It's the safety for the first person, but you also have to get to see how it, it's acting under load before that last person has to go without a backup. Yeah, and also we'll do a backup behind the clove hitch with a figure eight and clip it into um, one, ideally, if it's, a, if it's bolted and you've got... Um, webbing coming down on each side, you'll clip into one strand of that webbing on each side. And part of that is, again, for the same reason, if where that repeat is hooked into happens to come apart, get cut, um, and that you'll have a little bit of a jolt, but your figure eight will then grab and continue to hold that that person. Obviously, that won't be there for the last, um, the last uh, person coming down, um, but for everybody prior to that, before that backup gets pulled off. Um, so that's redundancy. And I've, I've obviously the more redundancy that we, um, you know, if we have two points of failure, that's always best and, and more is better um, up until a certain point, which, so there's the next one, the E in serene or the, 
I guess the second out of the three E's is efficient um, or timely if you're doing the earnest acronym. So there's a bit of how much time does it take? How much material do you need? Uh, a lot of times that becomes a little more on the climbing side versus canyoneering because we build anchors and we leave them. Climbers build and take down a lot more anchors, so they have to um, try to figure out how much time. But it's similar for what we're doing, Vin, right? So as we as we look at in particular canyons, um, you know, one of our favorite canyons has a, has a modestly sized arch, um, a sandstone arch that we go off of. It's only about a 12-foot rappel, but if you were to fall and blow that arch out, it would be, could be a very significant um, and dangerous fall. So we debate, do we put uh, bolts in there? And then it's a question of, you know, taking the time to put that in for the betterment of the canyoneering community. Um, and then, you know, do we put two bolts in? Uh, and then do we use webbing or should we use chains? And so those are the types of things um, that we debate. And some of it is just the time in a particular canyon. Um, so Death Valley had a lot of washouts this, uh, this summer and uh, a lot of rain during the monsoon season. And so I suspect the vast majority of the um, cairn anchors that are uh, all across Death Valley got blown out. And so now the next set of people that went through had to go rebuild those, right? So you can pile, make a huge, huge pile of rocks, or you can make a pile of rocks that's big enough to make sure that at least you get down for that particular rappel. So all that I think comes into the con, uh, the context of efficiency or timely, how much material you're going to put in. Is it worth it? Are you bettering the canyoneering community? Um, you know, and how much time do you maybe have if there's only limited daylight or it's too hot or too cold, you're not going to want to spend that much time, um, in the Canyon. Okay. Anything else on efficiency or timeliness that you can think of, Vin? Yeah, I guess the only other thing I would add is like those choices are also adjusted by how good the canyon is. Like when we really like canyons, we're going to put more effort into it. Um, and is that great? I don't know, but it's certainly part of the discussion. Yeah, that's good. Because sometimes we're exploring and we find something new that's somewhat interesting, but so you know we're not going to we're not going to bolt it or do anything specifically other than maybe put a little webbing around a tree and leave that behind. Um, but yeah, we're going to, um, limit our investment because again, if you're, if you're putting in two bolts and maybe some chain or some webbing, I mean, you're, you could be talking 20 to $30 of investment for you personally, just in that one, um, one anchor on one repel. So it gets to be expensive very quickly. Um, and you have to take that into consideration. Um, the next one is N N E and our serene is no extension. Um, so tell us a little bit about extension and what that does and what we're trying to avoid then. Yeah, extension means that if there is a failure, it's how far you're going to fall before your redundant action like catches you. And this is pretty significant, right? especially for us, because we're using a lot of static equipment. Um, and so it, it multiplies the force, which can cause a tremendous amount of damage. Like, you know, a 10 foot fall on climbing rope is not going to feel that bad if you're, you know, up there a little bit, but a 10 foot fall on a static sling, like you're talking about some real damage. Yeah. So that's generally what that overhand knot does in the webbing, right? So if one side were to fail, there's not much slippage to create that shock to the system. But you also have to consider, as we talked about, if you have a meat anchor backup, right? So you don't want to have three feet of, you know, slack where the rope's going around the rock cairn and you're just kind of casually sitting there. Um, because what's happened, not only will that person uh, fall rapidly those three feet and create a lot of forces on your system, 
Um, but it's going to then uh, more likely jerk you. So as a, as a meat anchor, you want to limit that um, because the force on you when you may be about the same weight as somebody else um, needs to be minimized as much as possible. Okay. And then the last one, the SA after serene that some, you'll sometimes see is small angles, right? So if you do have, um, you know, any anchors, but most of the time we're talking about bolts, there's some physics here. So if you have a hundred pounds of load, for example, um, and the anchors are about 20 degrees, you're going to have about 50 pounds to each anchor if they are equalized very well. But if you go all the way up to 120 degrees, each anchor will have that 100 pounds of load. So you're not, you still may be sharing, but but it will not be reducing the load. And then obviously that puts more pressure on your, and force on your webbing. Um, and, and then it's more likely to fail um, if you have that. So most of the time when we are in a canyon, you want to make sure um, that the angles are about between that 20 and 60 degrees and keeping them small. And uh, Vin, you had a little uh, Star Trek way of, of remembering your angles. Yeah, what I was taught in class is if you do like a Vulcan sign where you've got the two fingers on either side, the angle of your anchor should be able to fit inside of that. Yeah, that's great. So, okay, so let's, that's kind of the serene and the concepts of what makes a great anchor. And the thing to be said that's probably obvious is there's trade-offs as you go through this, right? So there may be times... Um, when you're, you're trading off the equalization or redundancy um, because you know you have a great strong anchor, so you don't need that much of those other ones. Um, those are the types of things versus if you have a small rock uh, cairn, so you want to make sure that you've got some redundancies or at least a backup, um, or you're trying to get through a major canyon and, and you're running out of daylight or warmth, um, that you want to be as timely as you can. So these are all trade-offs and, again, risk assessments. So we're going to go and talk about the different types of anchors and reminder to folks, this is, you may or may not be creating your own anchors. A lot of established canyons will already have these in place. And so um, we will tend to just use what is there, but we do want to go through them. So you understand what makes a good one uh, versus a bad one, and perhaps uh, the ability to inspect those. I'm going to go in somewhat of an order from my most favorite to my least favorite types of anchors. So we'll start with the old bolts. So you'll see a couple different styles, Vin. Tell me about those. Yeah, the two most common styles that you'll see in terms of like categories will be glue-in and expansion bolts. Glue-in is pretty straightforward. You drill a hole, you put the bolt in with some epoxy and it, and it holds. Really strong, great tests. The expansion bolts have a mechanical process. So you'll drill the hole, the bolt goes in, and then with a wrench, you're going to turn the head and that causes this uh, expansion inside which is grabbing the rock now in terms of which ones are better uh, i think the tests are, are pretty close i think the glue-ins will, will win but i think one of the things to recognize is that the bolt the mechanical bolts have a ton of different options and so you could run into the risk that people are in there installing just random like concrete bolts and that's something definitely to watch out for yeah and you will see a lot of the home depot home depot style hardware on the bolt side and you know they they will often work so they use concrete anchors and and just off the shelf bolts and sometimes washers to hold the hold the chain in place it doesn't mean they're weak 
Um, probably not ideal in a lot of situations. Um, but on both of those, when you come up and inspect them, they should be uh, relatively firm in the rock, right? So there's the glue ones uh, absolutely should not be moving. On the expansion bolts, sometimes the anchor that's there will have a little bit of flex, but it, and you just don't want the bolt to be very loose. Um, sometimes I'll carry a, a little crescent uh, or sorry, adjustable wrench in order to be able to tighten them as needed and very gently. Cause if you do it too much, you're just going to pull the whole thing apart anyway. Um, so that's one thing is just inspecting, know, know the difference between the two. Obviously you're not going to wrench on a glue in, uh, glue in bolt. Um, and then there's also a pattern if you will, right? So we talked about, um, the, the V, uh, where there's two bolts together and it creates a V in the webbing and that goes in the direction of the rappel. And then there's also on occasion kind of that vertically stacked. So one's behind the other. And, um, you know, you really want to think about what did the anchor designer have in mind for what they're trying to do there and make sure that how it's tied or what you're, what you're doing, which direction you're going on the rappel um, to get that equalization off of those uh, bolts in this case is, is appropriate. Okay. So let's look at the, um, the trees or large bushes. Obviously, huge trees are, are nice, solid, strong anchors, but we've gone off of some really small stuff, Vin. So tell me about what to do and not to do on those. Yeah, with the trees, what you're going to look for first is that uh, 100%, I think it needs to be alive in most cases. Um, but one of the things that you can do to be able to minimize the force that's being applied is tie super low on the tree. Um, and that's going to give you a lot better chance of not damaging the tree or yourself. Yeah. And there also is some technique, right? So the damage of the tree is, you know, scraping bark off. So you don't generally want to just wrap, uh, put a, put a rope around a tree, even if it was an easy pull, cause you're pulling all the bark off. Um, so webbing is good. And then there's techniques if you're trying to keep the webbing in a specific spot. So if there's like a huge uh, if the tree is um, leaning in, in the direction of the rappel, you may not just want to have a loose, um, sling around that tree uh, because as you start going down, it could slide up on the major branch that you're on. So then there's techniques like wrap three, pull two, right? So you take the webbing all the way around three times, put in your water knot, pull two of those out, put a, an overhand knot in there. And so now you have a nice uh, redundant uh, piece of webbing on a tree that will hold in the specific spot, high, low, wherever you want to put it. The other thing to be said is obviously you want to wrap low, uh, around small trees or, or bushes. So the closer you are to the roots generally are better um, and allows you to get a smaller and smaller bush to make that work. Uh, so there's talking about, let's talk about a bomber rock. So you've got a good size rock to go off of in. What do you want to look for or be careful of? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that bomber rock is lower on your priority than tree. I love the big, the big rocks. Uh, you know, one thing that my climbing instructor told me is that every rock is on a journey. And so you're kind of looking to see, like, your job is to determine where is it on that journey? Is it going to move in the next year or is it going to move in the next 5,000 years? And so when I'm looking at rocks, I'm looking for large rocks that have a ton of mass and they're also not on a slope, that they are not in danger of being pulled or moved in any way. If they're a little bit buried, even better. Yeah, it's great. And, and part of the reason maybe I had this one a little lower is I have seen rocks that they always seem to be on dirt or other little rocks. So it always makes me uncomfortable as to how much some of those rocks will move, especially because we're on a lot of slopes, um, uh, unfortunately. Um, similar to that one, the bomber rock, is there could be a pinch point in between, I'll call it two bomber rocks, right? So you don't think either of those two rocks is going to move. Um, what do we have to be careful of when we have that pinch point? Yeah, with pinch points, you're, 
my biggest concern is going to be that there could be abrasion. Some kind of friction uh, with the movement is going to cause whatever we put in there to degrade. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, why don't we take a, a quick break and we will be right back. And now a message from today's sponsor. Are you okay spending $100 on quality approach shoes, but don't like all that weight, warmth, and arch support? Then Chaco Cloud Sandals are for you. Just a piece of rubber and some nylon, Chaco Sandals are a high-class statement to all your canyoneering friends. You're not just another robot wearing approach shoes that protect your feet and give stability. You're an individual who likes to scrape your feet on rocks and feel the mud between your toes. Hey, if a harness is good enough for your waist, why not harness up your feet? Chaco Cloud Sandals. Not smarter, just better. Somehow. What do you think of that, Vin? That sounds great. I want one of those. Ah, Vin, a ringing endorsement. Love it. All right, so we have a few more types as we go down the uh, from most favorite to least favorite. So let's talk about Cairn Anchor. So there's a pile style, as we affectionately call. So tell me what that looks like and some of the negatives on that. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of what I first learned. Um, you take a rock, you put some webbing on it, and then you pile more rocks on top of it until you feel like you can repel off of it. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that this style became a little less popular is that it's kind of great for the person that built it, but everyone else kind of has a bum deal. Like you can't see what's happening underneath. And if you really wanted to do the right thing, you'd have to take it all apart, look at it, and then rebuild it. Yeah, and there is the danger as you're piling rocks on top of rocks that you can cut the webbing that's there or at least nick it enough to reduce its uh, uh, strength. So that is an issue. And then there's another style um, that we'll call the Death Valley style that some folks um, uh, are, are commonly using within Death Valley. And that is you use one main rock, you still wrap a main rock as you would as uh, the other style, but it's more of a chalk stone, right? So you put that chalk stone behind an arched pile of rocks, um, maybe make a little channel for the webbing that comes out um, underneath all of that, again, to protect it as much as possible from that um, abrasion from the other rocks that you're piling on. But the benefit of that is it's easy just to pull that chalk stone out on the backside, inspect all of the, the webbing and or replace it if it doesn't look great. So there's no need to disturb that pile. And that's a, kind of a nice, interesting way to, to create a, a rock, uh, sorry, a Cairn anchor. Um, the next type uh, down the list here is a dead man. Talk to me about that, Vin. Dead man, you take a nice sized rock, you dig a hole, you put some webbing on it, you put it in the hole, you bury it. Uh, it's going to be great that first time because of all that weight that you've like put on top of it. But then over time, it gets even better because as water comes down the channel, it's going to really solidify it in there. The huge disadvantage is that the webbing could come completely detached or dissolve and nobody would know. Yeah. If you have rodents or anything else that's, you know, or the, the wetness of it, um, you can't, it's hard to inspect and no one ever seems to dig up a, a dead man anchor because it takes a lot of effort. And then once you do, as you said, you actually are weakening it by not having all of that solid sand and dirt packed on top of it. So um, that is a, that is an old style. Most of the time, the Karens are up top as we talk about. No one uses dead men's anymore that I know of. Um, the next type is a rock chalk. So again, wrapping a rock with webbing and you're putting it in a crack. So obviously the crack would be big enough 
to support the rock and then it would slide into a section where the rock could not come out. Um, so the nice thing is um, that those are, are nice and secure, usually just have a single piece of webbing coming out. Um, uh, the downside is it you know, depends on what kind of rock you're putting it on. When you have a crack in a rock, it could be a fin or something that's not quite as strong. Um, so you have to be a little bit careful about that. And then a similar concept is a knot chalk. Then tell me about that. Yeah, knot chalk is very similar. You're putting something in that is too large to get through the opening. Uh, so you'll tie some kind of fat knot in webbing uh, and put it into a place that is kind of V-shaped. Uh, what you're really looking for is something that is like a crack in the earth versus something like next to a flake that could easily break off. Yeah, and so you're going to have a very thin uh, crack for something like that because you wouldn't want to do it with a, a huge pile of knots because they would squeeze um, through any bigger bigger cracks. So you're really talking about something so small, it'd be tough to get a rock in and, and have it tied up. Uh, and then the next, uh, next type down the list here is an arch. So I um, describe this as tying in and praying because it's always... Um, especially in sandstone, scary to me to go off of an arch. I never know because you don't generally go around pulling arches to failure. Um, one, it's a beautiful part of our um, environment here in southern Utah. So you, you want to you wanna preserve them as much as possible. I always get happy when I see arches in the canyons. Um, but at the same time, I haven't seen one blow out. So I don't know how big or small they're supposed to be um, before, you, before you have to be concerned about them. I do know that if you're in better rock, um, you know, a granite or, um, you know, basalt or something that's a harder rock, a limestone, you're going to have a much smaller arch will be fine. Um, we did golf the other day that has a few, um, little baby arches that are the size of your fingers that are tied to, and that seemed to work, although it also made me really uncomfortable. Um, so those are the kinds of things you really have to be careful of, back them up often, um, cause you just never know. And there are people that have died in, in recent, uh, years here. Um, by going off of that. It wasn't even the first person. It was like the third or fourth that ended up blowing out the um, the little arch that they were tied into and unfortunately passed on. So the last type we're going to talk about is the meat anchor, Vin. So tell me, you know, when is it appropriate? How, how you would approach a meat anchor? So for me, a meat anchor is a way to get your team down uh, an obstacle efficiently. And so a meat anchor is when you're repelling off of a person. The, pers the person is actually acting as the anchor. And so the way that I would approach it is I would put somebody heavy as the anchor first. And then I would have one of my more skilled teammates going down because one, they're going first, like there are things that they're going to have to check for and there are limited rescue options if they get into trouble. Once that person gets down, now I'm starting to think about weight and the last person so i kind of want my heavier people to go first because i have more people to back up the meat uh, and once i get them down the last two people now this is getting a little bit like you're, you're thinking you want your best down climber to go last if possible because the team is going to have to support them and they're going down without repel yeah it's great and i do think also that you have to there's a an appropriate approach to how you are meat anchor, regardless of how heavy you are, right? So you want to make sure that you are prepared um, to support their weight going over. So ideally, the person who is repelling will be kind to you and do a bit of a soft start, but I have noticed that is not always the case. Um, and so you need to be in a very firm uh, position. You want to sit down 
make sure that you're low to the ground, leaning back might help a little bit. Um, putting your feet onto a rock or something that's, you know, a wall or something that'll help you be more solid. And then also just making sure that you're not doing something silly, like having the rope drape over your legs. So as soon as they start to repel, it's pinching your pinching yourself or there, if you're doing this as a, a meat anchor, as a backup, that there's some weird angle to the load. So now it's kind of jerking you sideways in the Canyon um, where you're, where you're not in control. So those are the types of things um, that you want to watch for. And then also it's helpful um, as we know, once the rope is over an edge, the rock itself will help with, um, because of the friction of the rope on the rock, will help with the supporting the load, if you will, right? Or lessening the load on the meat. So most of the time, you just got to get them over the edge. But also, if there is a place to drape the rope over a rock that's, you know, um, sitting in the canyon somewhere, um, that's great because then from the start, you're going to have a little more. Um, friction. And then the last uh, little tip on that is um, we have had, I have gone out with people that they say, don't stand on the rope, never stand on the rope. I know that's true. If you're out in ice and you have micro spikes, you're not going to want to stand on the rope, but um, we've been amazed at how much uh, pressure off the anchor is just by having someone stand on, you know, on the rope on a flat part. Um, so that can be helpful as well when someone's doing a start and there's a meat anchor there. Um, but as you said, you have to have a plan to replace that meat with either a smaller person, a good down climber, or something else at the end. Okay. Vin, anything else you want to impart upon our listeners today before we close out? Yeah, I guess I'll say one thing. Um, like when I first started, like checking anchors was not necessarily my highest priority because I was kind of so scared and looking at all the things that like I was trying to do to keep myself safe. And it wasn't really until I recognized that like it was guys like you and I that were out there like bolting and like building anchors. And I was like, oh, wow. Like it's just, it's like guys like us. And then I was like, oh, I really need to start paying attention because, you know, like there have definitely been times when you and I have gotten better at building anchors over time. And so, you know, there's the recognition that there's, it's not like park rangers out there that are professionals. Like it's the rest of the community that is doing this stuff. And you need to recognize that not everyone has the same level of experience or skill set. That's a great point. And I will say on inspecting anchors, that webbing is probably the number one thing that I've seen that's a potential danger. So I have seen nicked webbing that's, you know, behind the rock, behind the tree. Um, I've uh, unfortunately have walked up, you know, I was packing rope on the previous rappel and I come walking up when there's already one or two people down and we're like, you went off of this webbing? Did you look at it at all? And so it did become much more of a, hey, every individual on every anchor has to, to walk up and look at it. And we often will say, did anybody look at the webbing? Or someone who did look at the webbing will, will tell the group, I, I inspected it, it's fine, right? Just to, just to declare that someone actually looked at it. Because to your point, when I first started canyoneering, I just assumed all webbing was good because the previous group made it down just fine. But you have no idea um, when the last uh, set of people went through there and how much sun and, and other aging uh, nick, you know, nicks, rodents, whatever, um, that might have done something to that. Okay, great. So great discussion, Vin. I uh, appreciate it. And we will talk to everybody next time.